Connecticut Democrats, or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Welcome back to Connecticrats, the CT Dems podcast. I'm Mike Cerulli. I'm Tania Baker. And I'm David Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the newly relaunched Connecticut Democrats podcast. It is wonderful to have you guys back. We got a whole new season, whole new roster of candidates. And in addition to having more amazing guests for you, we also have more amazing hosts. Uh, We want to say hi to Tanaya, who's joining us and uh, conducted one of the interviews this week. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So I guess we'll start things off this week. I had a great conversation with the person who will be at the top of our ticket, uh, Governor Ned Lamont. Uh, Had a good conversation with him. And this is exciting because for the history of the show, we have recorded these things over Zoom, right? We've used Zoom to do the recordings, and that has been the audio for the podcast. Was that the case this time, Mike? It was, unfortunately. We oh. still, uh, still, still, still doing things what? over Zoom. But, I thought you did uh, it in person. No, actually, we, we did see each other uh, yesterday. I, we're recording this on the Tuesday after Labor Day, and we did see each other yesterday at the Newtown Labor Day Parade, a great uh, tradition for the kickoff of campaign season. So we saw each other, had a little recap of our conversation. But no, the main conversation was over Zoom, myself coming from the UConn campus here in Stanford and, and him up at Hartford at the campaign headquarters. So uh, Zoom still still helping out there. Uh, All right. So we've got to make that a stretch goal then. That's uh, that's a thing. we got to get at least one of these interviews done in person this year. Who will it be? Who will it be? But today we've got Ned Lamont uh, talking with Mike Cerulli about the, the state of Connecticut, the state of the race, and what's at stake in this election. We're so happy to have on the podcast once again our governor, Ned Lamont. Governor, welcome to the podcast. Michael, nice to see you. So I want to kick things off uh, with a bit of a campaign update from you. I know you've been traveling around, working hard uh, to, to get reelected, and I just wanted to know, what are you hearing out on the campaign trail? What are people saying to you? And what are some of the issues that are on the front of folks' minds today? I have been uh, getting out a lot. I like getting out of the Capitol and um, talking to folks. I think they're a little worried about the state going back five years ago. I think uh, they worried that we didn't have our fiscal house in order, uh, worried whether uh, their kids uh, would be here in Connecticut, whether their jobs and opportunity for them here in Connecticut. And I think um, despite all the campaign back and forth, um, people are feeling a little more optimistic about the state. I I think they um, appreciate four surpluses in a row, and that was without federal money. Those are four real um, surpluses. Uh, Surprisingly to me, because I thought it was sort of an egghead thing, but um, appreciate the fact that we paid down well over $5 billion in our pension obligations. Uh, not just what that means in terms of honoring our commitments to our retirees, but um, the fact that it'll save our taxpayers about $450 million a year, you know, for the next 30 years. And uh, all symptoms of a state that's getting its act together. I feel really confident about that. And finally, just the fact that for the first time in my life, and I've been around for a while, uh, you know, we have well over 100,000 jobs uh, we got to fill. And these are good paying jobs. These are careers. These are jobs with health care and decent benefits. Laser welders at EB, nurses at Hartford Healthcare, um, you know, teachers everywhere, IT specialists. And we're training people for these jobs. And we're doing that on our nickel to make sure you get the best opportunity. 
Yeah, talk a bit more about that. I know you. I know a few weeks ago, or actually maybe recently, more than that, uh, you you announced a new workforce training program. Um, obviously, as a college student, that's important to me. But also, you mentioned those high skill jobs like welding and um, other other skilled trades that maybe don't require a college degree. So, talk a bit about what you've been doing on that end. I think it's one of the most exciting things happening in the state. I, I mean, you're a UConn guy. A lot of people graduate from high school and go on to four year college and maybe do something beyond that. But uh, I think young people in particular want more options. So uh, the option number two is a two-year community college. Option number three could be um, an 18-week certificate program in laser welding where you get a guaranteed job in electric boat at the end of the day. And that's a 40-hour week and you're off to the races, but don't stop your education there. We're working with our community colleges and others to make sure you can continue learning while you earn. So we're trying to turn that piece of education on its head, all the while reminding um, ourselves that Connecticut has the best education system, you know, in the country, you know, ranked um, best K through 12, and just recently banked the, um, ranked the best community college systems in the country. You're a UConn guy. UConn is, by the way, on a roll right now. I love it. Oh, yeah. And hope to see you up at some, uh, some football and basketball games in the coming months. Um, so I want, I want to, you know, talking about education, right? You said we have one of the best public school systems in the country. We have obviously great higher education, uh, not just our public schools that set at the state universities and at UConn, but also on the private side. Um, I just want to talk about, you know, that doesn't happen by accident, right? It's not just some fluke that we happen to have the best education. It's because we've worked at it. And not to make things here about your opponent, but there are some things he's proposed that maybe wouldn't <laughs> be so helpful in giving us the best education system in the country. So talk about what's on the line in this election, not just with education, but with other issues where, again, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. It's it's a result of policies that you and others have passed. And uh, by the way, David Martin just walked into the room here, <laughs> uh, to totally on a fluke. But uh, talk a bit more about that. Um, what's on the line here, Governor, in this election? You've got to work hard to make sure you have the best education system in the country. Uh, that starts with investments. And um, that means, A, recruiting the very best teachers in the world. Get them to come to Connecticut. Um, get them to be in Connecticut. Make sure we value our, our educators, our teachers, our parents. Make sure that we have a diverse group of uh, teachers so that uh, young students can look up and see somebody just like them and say, uh, I can do that too. Uh, I, I worry a little bit about um, some folks who are pitting teachers and parents nonsense. I need teachers and parents working like this. That's how you really get the best education, the best opportunity for young people. Secondly, uh, we're doing a lot of um, after school programs, a lot of apprenticeships and internships. I don't know about you. When I was uh, graduating from school, I didn't. You know, I went to a career place and there was a note on a board with a pin on it. And I said, I think I'll call and see. I mean, now, um, you know, I want to make sure young people know what their options are, how they know we can get tuition free community college, how to make sure they can avail themselves of that. Or if they want to go be a nurse, how you can go down to Southern and get that one year nursing program. We pay $10,000 of tuition to make sure you can hit the ground running. These are the fields where we really, really need you. We'll be back with more from Governor Lamont, but first let's hear from Rebecca Hyland, who's running for state rep in Wallyford in Middlefield. You said you were out door knocking? Yes. Yeah. Every day? I've been trying to go every day. I've been making it out 
four to five days a week recently uh, because the summer heat was uh, unbearable for, for a little while there. What is it, what is it uh, that compelled you to run in the first place? I mean, to be out there going door to door through Wallingford and Middlefield, talking to people, committing all this time, something has to motivate you to step up and be like, you know, I want to do this. Why do you want to do this? I finally made the decision to run because my husband and I were having conversations about the opportunity and it occurred to me, if not now, then when? Uh, And I say that because I've been lucky enough in the last few years to be at home uh, with my son. I have a three-year-old son. Uh, Before that, I was a high school teacher for a while. Uh, And then before that, in another lifetime, it feels like I was a public defender. So I've always had a bit of a uh, constitution love, love of our constitution and our democracy. And I just really never considered the possibility that I would have the chops to run for office um, until my husband and I were having a conversation about the opportunity. And he really encouraged me to be confident in the background that I have and the fact that it's, it's a different type of background, having teacher, mom, and attorney. The, it's a type of background that can offer a different perspective and will offer a different perspective um, to the legislature. And I looked at my three-year-old son and I said, you know what, I, I've got to at least try. I've got to do something to at least try to make the future as the best place it can possibly be for him and, and for the people that we love. When you're out at the doors talking to folks, what, uh, what specific stuff is coming up over and over? What are you hearing over and over from, from folks in, in the 90s? So people are worried about some of the nastiness that has uh, cropped up in politics as of late. Uh, and you combine that with some of the insecurities that people are feeling about their economic security, um, insecurities that people have about health care and jobs. So people are voicing concerns on two fronts, right? First on this very tangible money, job, health level, and then on this somewhat more philosophical existential level of where's our democracy headed, what's happening with our politics, what's happening with our government. So I like to talk to people, especially people who are not necessarily Democrats, just like me. I like to talk about the fact that we all want the same things. I think I put words in people's mouths when I say that. Um, But when you talk to Democrats, Republicans, independents, unaffiliated, everybody in between, we want our families and our friends to be happy. We want our families and our friends to be healthy. And we want our families and our friends to have the opportunities to do better. It just is that we have some different opinions and some very valid differences on how we think those things should happen. Um, And I, I try to express to people that I am somebody who takes it very seriously 
when I say, as a state representative, I'm here to listen to everybody. Because if we can get back to a spot of talking to one another civilly about our differences and our agreements, then that's how we're really going to make the biggest change. You sound amazing uh, when you say these things. It's so, it resonates. <laughs> and I have to say, I know a little bit about your opponent. And uh, it's not what I hear from him. It's not what I hear from him. He's, got, he's gotten in a little bit of trouble once in a while for some social media stuff, uh, and rightly so. And yeah. uh, faced a really strong challenge last time. And um, I don't think he's someone who really reaches out to liberals, Democrats, uh, people you know, left of he, um, and even a lot of the unaffiliated uh, to make his case. You know, it's incredibly easy to forget that you're talking to human beings when you're hiding behind um, political views or um, heavy concepts and ideas like finances and healthcare and and guns and uh, you know bodily freedom and and you have these differences with all these people and it's really easy to forget that you're talking to human beings and a big difference between me and my opponent is the fact that I know that as a government representative you have to represent you do represent every single person who is in that district, whether they vote for you or not. So when I'm the state representative for the 90th district, I represent all of the Republicans, all of the Democrats, all of the unaffiliated and everything else, whether they voted for me or not. And there's a real moral imperative for me to do that job responsibly. Um, because why run for government office? Why run to represent people if you're not actually going to listen to them and be accountable to them? And I think that one of the things that we are missing dearly in the 90th district is that voice and that advocate for us in Hartford. You know, when we had Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz on last week, she was uh, talking about about that same thing, about about how much you learn as you go door to door and actually talk face to face, one to one with voters in your district. Um, you know, and of course, some crazy stuff can happen as well. Do you have a good story from the road? When it, when it comes to pets, that has been one of the uh, most enjoyable component of knocking on doors because I love dogs. I love cats too, but you can't really like walk into somebody's front door and pet their cat. Um, but the dogs have been fantastic and they have been, um, if for nothing else, if you can't establish any kind of rapport with somebody, if you like their dog and their dog likes you, you're good to go. And that's, that's really all you need. Um, so I'm trying to think if I've had anything that has been absolutely hysterical. Um, I've had some interesting commentary uh, from people in terms of why they're going to vote for me, even though everything they're saying is just the complete antithesis of everything I believe. Really? But they're going to vote for me anyway, 
because I knocked on their door and um, oh. and they like me. And um, so they're going to get out and vote. And, you know, I can't really fight with that. I'm, I'm not going to turn down their vote. <laughs> but, um, That's sort of the I've challenge, actually right? enjoyed. Yeah. That's yeah, sort of the challenge I mean, of what you were talking about before is that here's presumably someone very conservative, very maybe even right wing saying, I don't believe in X, Y and Z as you do, but I'll vote for you. Then you're right. You're their representative. Yeah. And I, I mean, you kind of like, OK, nobody really trusts politicians. <laughs> That's <laughs> nobody. Nobody will be like, I absolutely trust you so much because you're a politician. Um, but what I, I hope to convey to people is I'm as trustworthy as perhaps you're willing to give to a politician. So, you know, I guess you really only want somebody who's more trustworthy than the other guy. And um, I, <laughs> I, I think hopefully I've been able to convey that to people um, if they don't trust me wholly anyway. Um, but one of the unexpected things that's been so gratifying about knocking on doors has been talking to so many different types of people with so many different beliefs, I thought as a bit of an introvert and as a bit of uh, somebody who was terrified during COVID of getting COVID, I thought this was going to be far more anxiety inducing than it has been. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I haven't been out talking to hundreds and hundreds of people at a time in the last few years. So for me, you know, when I first started going back to the grocery store after COVID, it was anxiety inducing. So I thought knocking on doors was going to be a lot uh, harder than it was, but people have been really welcoming. Um, and, you know, and when they don't want you to knock on their door, they're pretty clear about it. And I did find it interesting when I was looking at your platform, because I know like a lot of other politicians, uh, their focus is like, you know, to reduce crime and stuff. But I thought it was interesting. I thought it was like very good that a lot of your focus is on children, like starting early. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. So for me, criminal justice reform is something that is very close to home because I started my career off as a public defender. And I represented everybody from children as young as 10 years old, believe it or not. Um, all the way up to, you know, fully grown adults charged um, with every variation of crime, uh, excluding the only thing that I didn't represent were cases that involved the death penalty, um, because those were handled by a different office. So I was an assistant public defender in Virginia um, for about six years, and it was really the first time that I saw firsthand how state level politics and local level politics affected people's lives um, on a daily basis. And, you know, I grew up in Connecticut as a, a privileged white girl, and I was not exposed to issues of criminal justice or um, issues, lots of issues involving minority populations until I became an assistant public defender. And I started to see how much people's lives were impacted by things that were not within their control. And that really resonated with me. And 
you know, I started my career representing adults and then I was moved within my office to juvenile court for my juvenile court rotation. And that was um, one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever done in my life Um, because I was dealing with children who were put into the criminal justice system um, before they were even old enough to understand what was happening. Um, And I watched as they became involved in the criminal justice system um, and stayed involved because once they were in, it was almost impossible to get out and they never stood a chance. It, It changed my whole viewpoint on adult crime as well. So let me give an example. Um, One little boy that I represented a few times, his first exposure to the criminal justice system came um, when he was, uh, I don't remember if he was 10 or 11, um, but he kept getting arrested for misdemeanor trespass charges uh, because his legal guardian um, would kick him out of the house. And so he and his friends, you know, were breaking into first level apartments that were empty and just basically being uh, 10 year old, 11 year old kids with nowhere to go. Um, And so he first got involved on misdemeanor trespass charges, misdemeanor vandalism charges. And often because his legal guardian wouldn't take him home, he would spend the night or a few the juvenile detention center. Um, And one of the things that would happen is he was put on probation, juvenile probation. Well, juvenile probation is great, but one of the one of the requirements of juvenile probation is a curfew. Um, and a lot of the requirements actually of juvenile probation are requirements that kids don't follow even when they're not troublemakers, so to speak. You know, so like, I mean, I had plenty of friends. We all had friends growing up who didn't follow curfew. And so now you've got kids who who are already in a difficult path in life and they're expected to follow curfew. And it's like, all right, this is not going to work so well. So so needless to say, it didn't work so well. Um, And they would consistently break the rules of probation because they were, you know, just the rules of being a kid and they would break them. And back and forth, they would be, you know, kid actually... um, ended up being charged with some very serious felonies because he um, he held up a 7-Eleven with a BB gun in the middle of the night. And the reason he did it was, and he told the detective this, was because um, he liked going to the juvenile detention center because they fed him there. Um, So when a child starts off at that path, you know, at 10, 11, 12, 13, and then follows it and never gets out of it and then ends up committing crimes as an adult and you watch it happen, you can't forget that. You can't unlearn that. And um, so that is why, that is a very long-winded way of saying that is why criminal justice is really something that is important to me because I know I've seen what works and I've seen what doesn't. And I know that taking a punishment heavy approach, taking a taking an approach that is retroactive in the sense that once a crime has been committed, then we deal with it, isn't going to work. 
It's just simply not going to work. And we need to be willing to have honest conversations about what works and doesn't so that we can actually reduce crime. Like, I don't like crime. I'm not like, woo, crime. Let's go easy on people so we can have more crime. I mean, that's not, it's, it's the reverse. It's actually, I, I'd like to see less crime and I'd like to save us money. Um, and if we take a early intervention community-based approach, not only does that, is that more effective at preventing crime, it's actually cheaper. It actually costs less to invest in crime prevention on a community and early intervention level than it is to incarcerate people, incarcerate children, and do all of these court-based services. So, I mean, it, it's really a win-win. Uh, Rebecca Highland is running for the 90th district, which is in Wallingford and Middlefield. Funny thing about that is it used to be Wallingford and Cheshire, and then it became a seven vote. It was the single closest race in the state last time around, uh, where on election night, it appeared that yeah. Jim Jinks, who lives in Cheshire, had, uh, had prevailed. Uh, there was some confusion and it was legitimate confusion, et cetera. After all the votes were counted, it wound up being a seven vote margin to the Republican incumbent uh, who, who retained did. the seat. Uh, and, and after that, it was redistricted such that Cheshire was out of the district. So now it is Wallingford and Middlefield. Rebecca Highland is our guest today and she is running for state representative in that district. How can people find you on web, on socials, et cetera? super exciting about the web. Uh, I actually have my own name as my website address. Uh, so we were able uh, to get www.rebeccahighland.com, which apparently is very rare. Um, so my website is my name, Rebecca Highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D. And that's a .com. And then on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I think people can find you at Highland 490th. And if you want to volunteer to help out Rebecca or anyone around the state, uh, I know you're up on Mobilize, as are we, and we're promoting your stuff, and uh, Wallingford Democrats are as well. Uh, it was great to talk to you today. Thank you so much. This is a wonderful conversation. We now return to the second half of our interview with Governor Ned Lamont. You talk about attracting young people. You talk about attracting you know, the jobs of the 21st century economy, that that includes having a state that's welcoming to all people and particularly to, to women. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a bit about the work you and Susan have been doing on protecting women's rights, making the state uh, one that's welcoming to people of all backgrounds and uh, sort of, again, what's on the line in that area on, during this election. Yes, Susan and I are 100% committed to keeping Connecticut the most family-friendly state in the country. And I think we're uh, really well on our way to doing that. You know, it starts with uh, great schools, as we talked about, and getting our schools open. I mean, our schools were open and open safely earlier than just about any other schools in the country uh, following um, the worst of the COVID hit. You know, that means um, everything we can in terms of a summer program for our kids to make sure they can get back in the game. We did that. We did that so that every kid, regardless of income, could take advantage of that at no cost. I mentioned the biggest expansion of daycare and childcare in our history, uh, but that allows the kid uh, to get the start and that allows mom and dad to get back to work. How about paid family and medical leave? This was something big businesses do it. They knew how important it was recruiting um, and keeping those, uh, you know, especially single moms and dads able to keep working. 
Now we've made that available for small business so that um, even those folks that work for a 10, 20 person business, they have a, a medical emergency, uh, they want, you're giving birth, they have time to spend with that a baby being born. So these are all ways I think Connecticut is different than our neighboring states. And finally, respect women. Uh, and what I see coming out of the Supreme Court is shocking. I think it, um, my kids um, just couldn't believe it. You know, everybody's born since Roe v. Wade. We thought this was the law of the land. And the idea that the court now more and more states are rolling back women's rights, having politicians get between a woman and her doctor is shocking. As long as Susan and I are here, it's not going to happen on our watch. But you better ask uh, the other team, four square, where they stand. They're already talking about... Um, you know, adding more restrictions to Roe v. Wade, um, giving money to um, Senate candidates who want to outlaw Roe v. Wade, not just in Connecticut, but across the country. We're not going to let that happen here. Yeah, it's certainly shocking to see, you know, even here in Connecticut, where I think we've had this muscle memory of maybe having Republicans that are a little bit more reasonable. And unfortunately, that seems to be going by the wayside a bit, uh, particularly uh, that Senate candidate. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, Talking on that vein, you know, there's a lot of negativity going on going on on the other side of the aisle right now. There's a lot of uh, maybe have truths being thrown around. What do you do to stay positive and stay on message and focused on not just the campaign, but also, you know, you're still a governor on, on your job day to day. Um, how do you stay sort of above that negativity? Because I think, you know, one thing I talk to people, Republicans included in this, who just say, you know, that Governor Lamont, he, 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 he sort of just he stays on it and he is not going to get bogged down in that negativity. How, how do you do that? A, I think uh, I have a record. I'm proud of our record. I'm happy to talk about um, biggest tax cut in history. I'm happy to talk about getting people back to work. I'm happy to talk about where we were four years ago, where we are today. And if you don't like aspects of my record, please challenge my record. Stop attacking the state of Connecticut. Stop attacking, um, you know, Susan and me. That's not um, helpful. If uh, you think... Um, our $650 million tax cut for middle-class people should have been different. Say how you'd make it different. If you don't like how we're um, fixing our transportation system, say how you'd do it differently. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to stick to a record. I'm proud of being able to say, I think it's a good record. I think the state is turning around. We've got a long way to go, and that's why I'm running again. And thinking forward, right, we're, we're looking at the election right now, but thinking a year or two in the future. I know that you're, there's a lot of issues you want to continue to fight for and to continue to lead on. Um, if you are elected by the citizens of Connecticut to a second term, what are those issues that you're going to be looking towards either continuing to work on or tackling that you haven't already addressed? Uh, number one, workforce, workforce, workforce. Every business that is uh, thinking about the state of Connecticut or expanding in the state of Connecticut, will I have the workforce I need? And I got to tell you, as a, a progressive business guy and a progressive Democrat, it's an opportunity to lift everybody up. Folks who have felt like they were left out of this economy for um, maybe a couple of few generations. This is our chance to make sure they have the skills they need. And secondly, um, put our resources to work. Make investments that's going to transform this state. Make sure you have electric charging stations every 25 miles up and down our major arteries as we move our transportation system to all electric and continue to deal with uh, the worst ravages of uh, you know global warming. What that does to um, you know our healthcare in throughout the state. I want to give people a sense of what this state's going to look like five, 15 years from now, and the fact that we're getting there every day. 
And finally here, you know, this is an audience mostly of Connecticut Democrats uh, who are looking not just to vote uh, in November, but also looking to help out the ticket uh, between now and then. Uh, your message to them in terms of what they can do in these next sort of two months before Election Day, uh, what, would you, what would you recommend that they do to get an Don't action? take anything for granted. You've got to fight every day for what you believe and that you got to roll up your sleeves and, and to turn out the vote. That's what Susan and I are doing. That's what uh, Sean Scanley is going to be an amazing uh, controller. Uh, that's what Eric's going to be as treasurer, what we've got there. Uh, Stephanie, as secretary of state, other secretary of state around the country trying to take away voting rights. We're trying to make uh, voting easier, voting with integrity easier. And uh, But you only uh, do this if you get reelected. And um, I don't like hearing about enthusiasm gaps. I don't believe it. I believe that when uh, the Supreme Court said we're going to take away one of women's uh, fundamental rights, people woke up. When they see the negativity coming from the other side and constantly bad-mouthing the state of Connecticut, I think Democrats and independents and a lot of right-thinking Republicans are standing up and saying, that's not the governor I know, and that's not the state I know. I like the state. I like where we're going. And if you do, you've got to make sure people push back on the lies that are out there, but more importantly, stand up for our state. Couldn't agree more. I know you talk about that that so-called enthusiasm gap. You and I were both in Wilton on Sunday, and I don't know. That was one of the biggest crowds I've seen certainly in August, <laughs> you know, for for a midterm election year. And there was no enthusiasm gap in that crowd. So um, we just want to say thank you for joining us on the podcast again. Thank you for everything you're doing uh, for the state, and you know we're here to help you out and uh, hope to hope to see you in the in the coming months on the campaign trail. I'll be out there for the next. Uh, foreseeable future, knocking on your doors, looking forward to seeing you. And uh, Michael, thank you for this. Let's do it again and uh, keep pushing back on the stuff that's not true, but more importantly, talking about the good things that are true about this day. Yes, yeah, so the governor, I talked quite a bit about uh, the workforce development stuff he's doing. I mean, it seems every conversation I have with him in some way or another comes back to workforce, making sure that Connecticut uh, is, is competitive in the in the 21st century economy. And that includes the obvious things like making sure we continue to have great schools, great higher education, but also some stuff that I think are near and dear to Democrats' hearts, which is, you know, protecting the right to choose, protecting women, making sure that families have access to paid parental leave. Um, that's the type of stuff that uh, maybe some of the red states don't do too well at. And I think it's something that's sharp contrast in this election between the governor and his opponent. A thousand percent. We heard we heard uh, from Susan last week, and uh, listeners can go back and listen to the interview with Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz. Um, obviously, the themes are going to be the same there because they're a ticket, but man, what a record of accomplishment. Yeah, and it really is great to see how they work as a team, you know, the governor and, and, and lieutenant governor, and particularly lieutenant governor's work on women's rights here in Connecticut uh, with Women and Girls Council, uh, and recently with the unfortunate circumstances around Roe versus Wade, how she's really stood up and protected choice alongside the governor and Attorney General Tong and, and so many of our great state legislators. And we hope to hear from a lot of those legislators in the weeks ahead here on Connecticut. Uh, we may even get a pop in from the Attorney General. We're not sure. We'll let you know as those come up. Uh, you can always check out what we're doing on our social media feeds. You can uh, follow at CT Dems on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, find us on Facebook if you're still there. <laughs> How many, what do you think the overlap is? What do you think the Venn diagram is of people who are listening to the podcast and frequently use Facebook? I don't know. I don't know, Dave. I will say maybe this is unique to the Gen Z part of me, which I guess is all of me because <laughs> there's no part of me that's not Gen Z. Um, I've actually never had like the Facebook app on my phone. I had like one that I used in high school for like clubs I was in, but I never had the app on my phone. I'm purely Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. 
Um, so I would not be among those checking the CT Dems Facebook page. But we encourage people to do so. All right, fine. And you know what? I, I when I look at the stats, that's pretty clear. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with uh, more guests, with uh, more people running for the state legislature, and more hosts. You heard from uh, Jesse and Kayla last week, Tanaya, Mike, and I this week. And I uh, look forward to seeing you back here next week on Connecticut's, the CT Dems podcast. Mm-hmm.